Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. What is the day's date? I don't even know what. To, I'm going to have to look at an old newspaper and count down. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. I could do it. It is Thursday, June 22nd. I hope that's right. I did that from looking at an old newspaper. Uh, headline. This just popped on my phone. It's very millennialistic of me. I'm doing a headline off a phone, okay? That's how cool and hip I am and cutting edge. Usually I read it off a newspaper. This was breaking news from WBEZ. Hunter Klaus. I know uh, Hunter Klaus. How you doing, Hunter? Uh, he does. Uh, he puts together a compendium of news bits uh, every day, so you should check it out. Hunter does a good job with that. And here's the headline. Mayor Johnson passes on pulling police officers from public schools. Uh, and here's the lead. On the campaign trail, Brandon Johnson said police officers, quote, have no place in schools. But now that he's got the big office on the fifth floor at City Hall, I like that. Uh, very well done. The big office. Good job, Hunter. Uh, Johnson has changed his tune. The mayor this week said he would defer to elected local school councils whose members include parents, neighbors, and staff at individual schools. Uh, so this is... Um, uh, fits into a category that I pursue many times of uh, things candidates say uh, on the campaign as opposed to things they do once in office is one of my favorite themes. Apparently, Hunter shares my uh, passion for this. Uh, and in this particular case, I I disagreed with Brandon Johnson's uh, candidate, Brandon Johnson's position. If a local school council uh, wants to have a police officer at school, that should be up to the local school council. Democracy, small d, ever heard of it, Chicago? Okay, that's generally how uh, I view things. My issue, which is unaddressed uh, by Brandon Johnson, is who pays for this? Right now, the way it works in the city of Chicago is that the Board of Ed pays for it and then has to pay back the police department. I'm like, wait a minute. We're taking from the schools to pay for the police? The police are sacrosanct when it comes to funding. Think back, Chicagoans. Go back. Go back in time to the summer of 2020 when many activists in the streets were demanding to defund the police. Remember the, the hullabaloo over that? And they came into a counterpunch that MAGA threw. And by, I would say, easily three months, maybe six months, no Democrat. No mainstream Democrat was coming anywhere near to fund the police. In fact, right now, as I speak, the only defunders in the world are MAGA. They wanted to fund the FBI. I'm not making it up, MAGA. That's where you're at right now. So the notion that you can defund the police, you can't touch it here in Chicago. Even Brandon Johnson's moved away from cutting the police budget. So why, would, <laughs> if there's one budget that can't be touched, why don't you take the money for the police out of that budget? Duh. So the, you know, I don't hear anybody say uh, they're counterpunches to funding the schools. You know what I'm saying? I'm, okay, lefties like me say it. It's true. But who listens to lefties like me? The main, I don't know the mainstream. Do you think MAGA is going to rise up angry if you go 
Brandon Johnson wants to defund the public schools. Details at five. No. <laughs> they love cutting schools. Mayor Rahm loved cutting schools. He closed 50 of them. Remember that, Dems? You voted for him. So this is my advice, Brandon Johnson, which you're free to ignore. Like you ignore all the other advice I give you. Find the half police in schools. If the local school councils want them, take the money out of the police budget. There you go. You don't even have to give me credit for it. You could just say, hey, I had this idea one. It popped into my head. I'm running with it. All right. I'll, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest, who's very patiently been waiting for me uh, to finish my observations, to introduce himself, and we will take it away with the conversation. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. My name is Paul Kendrick. I'm the executive director of Rust Belt Rising. Yes. And he's also an author uh, of a book that he promised to send to me, but it has not arrived yet. Uh, but it's, <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you under a bus, Paul, but uh, just threw you under the bus. Uh, <laughs> I dropped so, in the mail yesterday. So uh, uh, for, for my return. Okay. Actually, I shouldn't. I, yeah, I, I shouldn't give you too much grief about that because I think it was, I can't I, I think it was Sunday that you promised to send it to me. So, uh, yeah. uh, all's well. I can't wait. Uh, just briefly, tell folks the title of the book uh, and the premise of the book, and we'll move on to pol- political discussion. But I just want folks to hear about this book, so take it away. I appreciate that. It's called Nine Days: The Race to Save Martin Luther King Jr.'s Life and Win the 1960 Election. And it's about the final weeks of the Kennedy-Nixon 1960 campaign and how Dr. King uh, did his first overnight imprisonment uh, for a sit-in that turned into a life-threatening situation in a rural Georgia prison. And it's about an interracial team of civil rights advisors on the Kennedy campaign, uh, including a Chicagoan, Chicago defender, editor, Louis Martin. Uh, and how they risk the election to help get King out and then uh, ended up swinging the black vote in America to help elect Kennedy um, through uh, some incredible, uh, it's an incredible tale of, of kind of campaign history and, uh, and machinations and, um, and courage uh, of, uh, that these friends did um, and how they ultimately got uh Kennedy and uh, and his brother Bobby involved. So um, yeah, it's uh, it it helps you understand King's journey as an as an activist who had to kind of face down death to understand how to change America, how to make national change uh, as he was struggling to figure out coming out of Montgomery, um, but also how we got the the politics and the coalitions we have today, and and just really a, a campaign thriller of uh, of how in a very very narrow election. Uh, how Kennedy did defeat Nixon, um, and uh, and how Republicans lost the black vote in America. Yeah, and that's the key. That last sentence uh, is uh, a very key part of the riff that Paul went on. Uh, youngsters out there, follow me when I give you a little history lesson. Uh, there, there was a consider right now. If you have a uh, presidential election in the city of Chicago, you look take a look at the votes in the black wards. Uh, at best. The Republican, Republican candidate will get 3% of the vote. But there was a time, youngsters, and I'm not making this up, when 40 to 50% of the black vote went for Republican candidates. Uh, and there was a transformation of black vote, the black electorate from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And it, it makes sense because the Republican Party, if you can believe this, was the party of Lincoln, the party of emancipation. Uh, and of course it's been transformed into the party essentially of George Wallace and segregation and racial hatred and bigotry. Uh, and that's where MAGA's at. That's me speaking, not Paul. That's Ben, not Paul. Uh, and, uh, so 1960 was a key, uh, moment in time where, uh, decisions made by John Kennedy on the campaign trail regards to Martin Luther King, uh, and Lewis Martin's contribution helped, I, uh, with the transition, the transformation of the black vote from uh, Republican to Democrat. I can't wait to read the book. I know it'll arrive real soon, <laughs> and I'll reach out to you again. Wonderful. We'll I can't wait to come back. Yeah, appreciate that. All right. But here we're going to talk about bread and butter politics uh, right now, uh, tw- uh, 2023, on the eve of the 2024 election. Uh, and you talked about you're with an organization called uh, Rust Belt Rising. So we, before we get started, explain to my listeners what Rust Belt Rising is. Rust Belt Rising is 
kind of a school to help Democrats learn from each other across the Great Lakes region to ultimately help us as Midwest Democrats be more effective in our messaging uh, and run strategic campaigns, win elections, deliver change. So we're we're a training program for Democrats. Uh, we recruit cohorts of leaders who are people running for state and local office or just very involved in their community. Uh, and we do uh, Zoom-based virtual uh, training programs to help them learn from those who've run great campaigns and, um, you know, mayors or, or digital strategists, to different people to give them perspective. We give them individual coaching to help their own story uh, shine through and, and, and be told authentically and effectively. And, and uh, we also do polling to understand the core economic, in particular, concerns of Midwest voters to ground uh, our, our folks in, in what people are, you know, priorities are and their challenges are. And uh, we have a messaging committee to create from comms veterans in the region to create messaging people can draw on. We do a lot of training for state and local parties in the region. Everything we do is free. And so if anyone has a, has a group uh, they, they want me to come talk to, would, would love to do that um, because uh, there, there's a lot we can learn from from campaigns that have worked well, from from how we know to t- the best way to talk about what we're for as Democrats and how to handle persuasively um, some more controversial issues. And so, uh, you know, we were founded after the 2016 election when people saw this blue wall fell and we lost places we used to win and the brand is so damaged in places and uh so it's been really incredible now we have a network of more than a thousand leaders in wisconsin michigan pennsylvania ohio illinois and indiana who are our folks that are are making that change and have helped to rebuild the blue wall but we know with the maga threats we're facing um this is just going to be um something we got to learn from each other and keep working together on in this challenging situation that we have in our region all right. Uh, and uh, just to be a little more specific, when when I think of the quote unquote blue wall that protects the electoral map uh, for the Democrats, uh, this crazy electoral system we have where we don't really have a democracy, <laughs> we have electoral college. Uh, I don't put uh, Indiana in that wall. <laughs> I know that Barack Obama won Indiana in 2008, but I think that was an exception. Uh, that was a. Uh, particular moment in history uh, where Barack Obama, between the economy and just the appeal and the charisma of the candidate Obama, that was one moment in history. Uh, I'm a little hesitant to put Ohio uh, in that category. Uh, no, I am not putting Ohio in that category. Ohio is not a blue wall state, in my humble opinion. Uh, it is at best a swing state, and it really isn't swinging that much anymore. Uh, so I would say, uh, and I'm not even going to put, well, I'll put Illinois in there, but I, I'm a little more uh, optimistic about it. The, the big ones on this list, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Uh, if the Dems hold on to those, they won them in 2020, uh, in my bet, they will prevail in 2024 and, de- and defeat Donald Trump, who will probably be the Republican nominee. Um, so do you agree with, before we get started in this particulars, do you agree with my overall assessment of the key states go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that Biden's path back to the White House, keeping Trump out of returning to the White House or DeSantis from getting there. Uh, it's, it's Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. It's, it's holding them. Um, that is the path. There's other pieces of that of like holding on to Nevada and, you know, uh, uh, the Omaha part of Nebraska, but, um, but yeah, but but fundamentally, that's the battlefield. And of course, we want to win Georgia and Arizona again, but like that is the battlefield. And so, you know, it's exciting, I think, as Chicagoans that we're, we're right in the middle of things, right at the center of things we can really affect. And I'm speaking now as an indivisible activist, uh, um, you know, we can really affect Wisconsin and Michigan and um, go there all the time. But uh, but yeah, but for Rust Belt Rising, it, we really set out, um, you know, when I came on board four years ago, how are we going to... Uh, win back, uh, you know, the blue wall that had that fallen and, and win back Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And in this last midterm, how are we going to reelect these great governors knowing the challenge of a midterm when you have the White House? <laughs> I was ex- extremely gratified and proud to be, you know, a small part of, of, of that. Um, and not to mention, you know, helping reelect Governor Pritzker because, you know, Rauner was elected when we had the White House, so you couldn't take that for granted. Um, so, 
but yes, that is the that's the that's the blue wall, and I work with great leaders in Ohio and Indiana who are really building from the grassroots up, who are running for local offices, who are you know challenging everywhere, trying to you know conversation by conversation, trying to make change. It's not easy, um, but yeah, they aren't you know what we need in the electoral map, but we definitely got to reelect Sherrod Brown in Ohio. So so they're they're really important, but um, but they are not the the presidential battlegrounds, and then obviously. Illinois. Um, well, if Republicans win Illinois, we've uh, we already lost the presidential election pretty bad. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. If the if Republicans win Illinois, we're, uh, <laughs> it's safe to say we lost. Democracy is in a lot yeah, of trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're all moving to California then. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so there's three general categories that uh, you laid out, and I'd like to take them point by point. Um, you grade messaging strategy and economics. Uh, And why don't we start with economics first? Um, So you talked about focus groups that your group has conducted with voters in some of these states uh, to decipher what economic fears, thoughts, hopes, et cetera, are in the brain. And what have you discovered? Yeah, and, and we've both done focus groups, and but we've done a lot more polling, and and so we have research on on both fronts. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, going back to kind of the start of it, I think one thing that jumped out to me was how just like hard work was the value that resonated across all communities: black, white, Latino, rural, urban, suburban. So we ground a lot of the you know, foundational messaging advice we've given people in talking about you know lead with a value that resonates with someone, and then. They'll, they'll go with you for then the policy solution. But if you say people are working so hard, you're working so hard, that's why you should be able to, you know, be able to see a doctor and, um, uh, you know, be able to be, have your hard work respected with good wages. And so, um, you know, that, that, that was the first thing that jumped out. But in this past election, you know, we did a poll about a, a couple months before the election and there'd been so much talk about gas prices, which was a real pain point for a lot of people. What, what was really interesting to me in that research was how um, groceries was was so difficult for people. And, and again, then it's the kind of thing that we, we try to share with people so that because, I mean, any good candidate is going out there and listening and, and is a member of their community that's hearing things every day. But just to remind people, like, if you want to talk empathetically, if you want to talk about the solutions, uh, you know, this is what people are feeling. And, and I'd say overall, you know, we've seen over and over, the economic agenda of the Democratic Party is is popular um, when we talk about, um, and, and, and I'm going to give kind of a broad sense of economics here of, of like one, good job, good raise, wages that you can raise a family on, um, you know, prescription drugs you can afford, healthcare you can afford, uh, good schools, clean water, uh, your social security protected, a dignified retirement. Like if we put that as the umbrella of the democratic economic vision for kind of the middle class promise in America, if you work hard, you can get ahead. That's really popular. And so one thing we kind of set up to do is help remind Democrats of this bread and butter, uh, kitchen table sense, uh, and to help people talk about those issues, but also to prepare them to have the most persuasive answers on some of the more controversial ones. Now, what's fascinating, and maybe you want to get into this, but is how Dobbs changed the whole equation. And suddenly the issue that we used to lose elections on in, um, you know, state rep districts that are a little more conservative, the issue of abortion is now once a right has been taken away from people, that's the most galvanizing issue for Democrats. But I don't think it's an either or. I think uh, one thing that I, I found um, really effective was having a message about, you know, they're focused on uh, abortion bans. We're trying to fight that. And we're focused on making sure your family has what it needs and talking about those things. So um, I think those are some of the pieces, just just reminding ourselves how popular our agenda is on key economic things. But knowing right now, as we head into uh, the 2024 election, from what I see in kind of the some research, research collaborative we're part of, um, you know, people still don't feel terribly optimistic about the economy. We have seen millions of jobs created, but I think the the, the lingering feelings from inflation, um, the gas prices, all this um, is not people necessarily feeling um, very sanguine about all this. And so, you know, Biden has to make that connection between his accomplishments, uh, which were on popular issues, and how people feel and, and trying to create more optimism for the future that I think is really needed for Democrats to win again. 
all right. Uh, so that's sort of the economic message, which I can understand. Uh, and uh, talk about the strategic policies. You want to be more strategic, you said, in, uh, in how you approach an election. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I meant that also in, in how you run a strategic campaign these days, um, which is to say helping you know, authentic working people who are putting their hand up for office um, you know how to spend their very limited money in in the right ways, which is you know things like just you know not blowing it all on t-shirts, offices, and yard sign, but you know things like how you use Facebook and and how you really deploy messages on behalf of your campaign, how you create selfie videos, how you um, helping people ask more questions of voters and 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 to listen and and to do a canvassing that isn't just um, throwing your talking points at someone. So so. There are a lot of parts of what makes a strategic campaign that I that we're trying to spread and teach and have people that have run over performing campaigns, you know, in a rural area or wherever come in and say, here's what I did. And so someone who's new to this is like, oh, great. Like now I'm running a smarter campaign. But I think the policy wise, um, what's strategic on that, since you ask, um, is that, I, you know, I, I do think we need Democrats to remind uh, persuadable voters of what they like about our party and uh you know and that is someone who is focused on a local economic vision for how your area can thrive and um it's it's a frustrating thing that for that it's so deep in the american psyche that republicans are always favored when you ask who's better on the economy despite all the evidence of the recent presidencies um but but we do want to have democrats be able to talk about what's their vision for how we grow the jobs in our area and grow good jobs um, and focus on and, and really centering working people in your campaign of like, that's who it's about. And, um, and, and too often Democrats are painted by the other side as the elites. Well, we have to talk about, you know, we're fighting wall street and, and, and we're the party of, of organized labor of unions of, of small business of main street. Um, and, you know, how they are positioning themselves, the, the, the visual cues of that, um, to, to just have a sense of someone more grounded in their community. And I think, um, you know, it depends on what level of office you're running for. And in general, we really encourage people to localize things so you can try to break through a lot of this partisan tribalization. But, um, but, uh, but overall, I mean, you know, we mentioned, you know, bringing down prescription drug prices and, and healthcare, right? I mean, I think, you know, fighting for school funding, you know, clean water is always a popular way in with people on environmental issues and, and, and helping them see the fight against climate change. It's about, you know, the opportunity to create good, clean energy jobs and, and, and protect the things you love about your place. And, um, protecting Social Security is such an underratedly popular issue for Democrats. Um, so, uh, you know, I think th those are, those are the few, a few of the core ones that I always go back to. Um, but you know, I think there, there are a lot of opportunities for Democrats and, and, um, we often just get drawn into trying to negate what the other side is doing. And, and, um, and we don't sometimes talk enough about what we want, our vision, not just what, not just the harm we're trying to reduce, like what's the world we're trying to create and the pieces of that, which are when you inspire people with a vision that they can see, uh, then, then they're more likely to take action and vote for you. All right. Uh, let's get into uh, the harm of the other side, uh, because I was listening to uh, what you were saying to promote what the Democrats stand for. And people should, yes, need to know what the Democrats stand for. And while I was listening to you, I was having flashbacks. I may have alluded to this. You and we had a conversation we were going for when I was walking the other day. Uh, I had a flashback to the 2022 elections in which Democrats throughout the country, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, did what the Pritzker tactic. Uh, and they, uh, I, I giving credit to J.B. Pritzker, governor of Illinois. And the Pritzker tactic uh, is this. You air commercials uh, in the Republican primary season, uh, highlighting the MAGA-ness of one candidate or another, uh, twofold. One, fire up MAGA to vote for that MAGA candidate. Uh, and two, leave the Democrats <laughs> facing an opponent uh, easier to beat because MAGA is so insane 
that nobody who is like a self-respecting critical thinker could possibly vote for them. Now, I know you haters out there just hate Democrats or whatever. whatever. You'll vote for them, but that's not critical thinking. That's just blind hatred. So I'm like, you know, yeah, promoting what you stand for is good, but it seems like what the Pritzker strategy is saying, uh, having a insane MAGA person running against you is better because it just shows you the harmful impact of MAGA. Your thoughts? Well, I think um, whether or not one you know plays the other side's primaries, I, I think overall it is imperative and it's effective uh, for Democrats to help people understand who this party is, and 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 the reality is, you know, whether someone is that like kind of a real Yahoo MAGA person or um, they they seem more um, I don't know civil somehow they're all voting for the same policies. Like for instance, like DeSantis is to the right of Trump, but people are acting like, oh, you know. It, if, if, if DeSantis get through, that'll be good. Like, no, it's just as bad. <laughs> Voting for the same things. Um, so, and, 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 and independent persuadable voters, I think, showed in 22 that they were, they were uncomfortable with the extremism of the Republican Party. And they, and they defied history in choosing uh, the, the, the party of the president who was in the White House because they did not want abortion bans. And, and again, in tying what MAGA is to, I think, a lot of that that social extremism that people don't like. They don't like judgy um, kind of, you know, policy being dictated by people bringing their own religion into uh, making you live under that. If that's not your, you know, in America, we like freedoms. And, and usually freedom has been a value that Republicans have used, um, you know, freedom from COVID, you know, restrictions or freedom from paying taxes. But, but all of a sudden, people were seeing freedom as, no, freedom from the government telling me, what to do with my body and when and if to have a child and uh as well as like you know just discrimination against lgbt people like allowing them lgbtq plus people to the freedom to be themselves of freedom from book ban so um anyway so I, I so i think uh the more that we're able to help people understand like the policies you get with voting for republicans are going to be these mag and it's and it's enabling the worst maga folks like Donald Trump, that's what you're going to get. Uh, you know, I think that is clear-eyed and that's, that's realistic. And and until that party reinvents itself in a more moderate way and, and repudiates the Trump, which is just such a faraway prospect because the party is just, Donald Trump is so popular the party. They are all in on the magism. Um, then then I just don't think that, that that party should be allowed to kind of win elections just because they say, oh, the economy, you know, isn't as good as it could be. And and let us in there. Like, no, they, they are irresponsible. They, they, they are not fit to <laughs> run a, a government. And, and so, you know, I, I, so I, it's not, um, painting someone as something they're not. It's just, it's just making clear, like, this is who they are. And that brand is now hurting them with moderate voters. They can still win in a lot of, you know, red states right now or red, uh, you know, more conservative districts. Um, and obviously you gerrymandering to help do that. Um, but it's, you know, what is playing in their base in a primary that gets a Darren Bailey through is really anathema to a lot of general election voters. And, and you know, we're, uh, we saw it play out in Illinois, and maybe we'll see that play out in the 24 election. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, anathema to uh, independent vo- or persuadable voters, as you call them. Persu- that's a good for- term. I'm going to steal it, maybe give you credit for it. I don't know. Persuadable voters. Uh, it's 50, 50, where they give you the credit, Paul. Uh, and, um, it depends how I feel that day. Uh, so you do polling, you say, uh, in some focus groups. So right now, the position of MAGA when it comes to Donald Trump is that, uh, the justice department should never initiate, uh, investigations into Donald Trump's wrongdoing nor should it ever bring uh, any uh, allegations to a grand jury, nor should a grand jury ever indict him on the grounds uh, that he is a candidate for president. That's the MAGA position, MAGA. I think I've very uh, cogently, coherently, probably more cogently and coherently than many of you, uh, I have uh, put, I have articulated it, and you're welcome, MAGA. 
I pay attention to what you say. So their position is that anything Donald Trump does, even if it's clearly lawlessness, should be accepted because he's a candidate uh, for uh uh, president. I've heard that articulated from everyone, from Kevin McCarthy to J.D. Vance, uh, even to a certain degree by uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, who's running against Trump. All right. How does that, I consider that a, a ludicrous and wacky notion that goes like, absolutely against everything we're supposed to believe in in terms of rule of law, but that's just me. How does that position stand with the quote-unquote persuadable voters of Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and even Indiana. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, two findings from our last poll that I think are really interesting here, and, and I'll get to how it relates to your question, but we found a majority of people said they wouldn't vote for someone who tried to overturn the last election. So, again, all their, um, you know, all that they did to try to have people's votes thrown out to to try to you know uh, make Donald Trump's feelings better uh, uh, that people don't like that and and it was shocking to see it all happen but again to that persuadable voter to that you know there there are there may not be a lot of them in America but they but they are critical in Wisconsin you know, that you know that mom in Wauwatosa um, you know in, in Waukesha. Um, outside Milwaukee, people don't like that. So a majority of that people, so, so if, if you could hold someone accountable and say that they tried to, you know, throw up free and fair votes, um, that, uh, a majority of people said they would not vote for someone like that. Now, we're, now it doesn't mean it might still happen. A lot of people do and they don't make that association with their, you know, country club Republican who still vote, did vote for that, but that's what people said. And then second, it was really interesting to me to see that a, Essentially, like a pro-life person was more likely to vote for a pro-choice person than a pro-choice person would be to vote for a pro-life person. Um, that that, that a, essentially someone who doesn't believe in abortion said they would consider someone who might be for you know against abortion bans. But for those of us for reproductive freedom, if someone now is for abortion bans, uh, they are you know off the table for us. So I think. You know, that goes to what you're saying here of there are just some positions that the Republicans Party is taking that are real, real political minority positions. I, you know, again, abortion bans, you know, Brown, DeSantis, Pence, Trump, you know, they're all they all want, you know, national abortion bans like these. That's like a, a very unpopular position. That's like a one in four at best position. That might be a, like a 20 percent position. It might be less than that. Like that's not popular, but they, they have these base incentives. Um, where they got to keep going. And then some of them are, you know, they're true believers on that, um, perhaps. And, um, so, so getting back to Trump, um, you know, he's very popular in their party. A lot of people in the party believe, you know, he's just been persecuted with all these witch hunts. Um, it's all BS, you know, not Hillary and Hunter can get away with anything, but they just want to rescue Donald Trump, but a president should be able to take home the documents he wants to take home and whatever. And they don't believe what you tell them about it. That like, you know, if you just giving them back, like, you know, well, you can't take back, you know, home our military plans and capacities and our nuclear secrets. But even if he had given them back and not obstructed justice, but you know, they just don't believe it. And, and I think the unfortunate reality is there, it, it, the more I'm reading some of this polling, like there is just not a market in their party for, for, um, <laughs> you know, for criticizing Donald Trump. So that makes it very tough for them to run against him. But anyway, that's where their party is. Whereas, again, so then getting back to that persuadable voter, or just also the voter, the unreliable voter who may or may not vote, but is more motivated to vote if they think, um, you know, there's a real threat uh, and the stakes of the other side in power is a, is a, uh, to the other side to their values is, a, is, you know, a real threat. Like that's, you know, just as important, you know, again, Biden has to reassemble all the people that voted for him last time and then he can win again. So like, can he get people motivated? Can he persuade people? It's all part of the, the coalition. Um, but I think a lot of people in that coalition are looking at this, you know, that, you know, do believe that someone shouldn't just be able to break the law and, 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 and just kind of, you know, act like he can. There should be rules in America. Like, you know, no one should be allowed the law. You know, this person is unreliable creates all sorts of danger and chaos 
Um, they don't want that. And, but, uh, but that is not what their base is buying right now. You know, I had never thought about that as a distinction. Uh, and I will give you credit. This one is really good. I'm going to call it <laughs> Paul Kendrick distinction. I, I'm going to confess some ignorance here and, uh, I'm sure all the, the political geeks in Washington go, Ben, this has been well known. <laughs> Many studies. It's okay, all right, geeks, you win, I lose. I had never thought about the difference between a persuadable voter and an unreliable voter. And when you said it, it crystallized in uh, my little dyslexic mind. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's a big distinction. And my guess is, just thinking about this for the first time, putting my mind on this for the first time, that a persuadable voter would be more influenced by the lawlessness of Donald Trump than an unreliable voter. Because an unreliable voter is a voter, in my mind, who probably should vote for the Democrats because the Democrats' policy, more often than not, are more favorable to that person than the Republican policy, but because of fill-in-the-blank, uh, just disappointment with past Democrats, uh, with uh, feeling that they were betrayed by past Democrats uh, or who are so out, so broke or down on their luck that it just seems like the conversation doesn't even relate to them. Will not they, they won't care about Donald Trump's lawlessness. They're going to be more worried about like things that affect me right here and right now. Whereas a persuadable voter is someone who does not rely on government directly to um, get them through the day. And so therefore they may be persuaded by the fact that Donald Trump is essentially promoting fascism in our time. That's yeah. my reading of yeah. the difference between a persuadable. Go ahead. Your thoughts. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. Um, yeah. Persuadable voters are interesting. I mean, it's, um, but uh, yeah, you do as a campaign, you want to talk to that person who votes every time, but it's not like a hardcore, say, Republican, you know, that does look at the candidates does think about them again. They're increasingly rare in America. And sometimes, and it's not that they're, sometimes their beliefs are like kind of very centrist kind of down the middle, or sometimes they just, they're kind of like all over the place. And when they hear one thing, they're like, Oh yeah, there's too much woke stuff. But then they hear something else. And they're like, Oh, it's wrong. This Trump, you know, you kind of, you know, they may have some beliefs that are kind of all over the place and they're pushing polls in different ways. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, yeah, a campaign wants to persuade someone who votes, who votes in every election, um, but, you know, may have a voting history on both sides. Or, you know, in this case, maybe they were a Romney voter or a McCain voter, or maybe they were, you know, Trump first time, but then they voted, you know, Biden the second time, you know, so we, we won't, we got to hold on to those folks. And then, um, yeah, and then you're unreliable voter. I mean, you sometimes you hear people talk about, oh, turnout and talking to the base. And I think that's the same thing. It's like those that may be like demographically more likely to vote for you. Um, or, you know, have a history of it, but, you know, sat, maybe sat out the midterm, but voted in 2020. And, um, and I think sometimes with that voter, um, yeah, ultimately, like they, they need a touch of someone who, whether that's a local candidate, and this gets to why I think Rust Belt Rising matters, um, even if not most of my candidates aren't able to win their state legislative elections and local election, but, 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 they, that voter needs to be heard and needs to be cared about. And someone has to listen to them and, and talk and, and connect to their life of, of what they do want to see. Um, oh, yeah, you want, you know, financial aid for, you know, community college or whatever it might be. Like, you know, that's what I'm fighting for. That's what we're fighting for, you know, and, and getting that voter out. And sometimes it's also just the practice. That voter also just may, may need the practicalities of, oh, you need to get re-registered. You're, you know, um, you know, the election is, is Tuesday. And like, uh, you know, let's make a plan for, you know, you getting a vote that you know, you want to do it by mail. Do you want to go in person? So sometimes it's, it's that vote plan, but that's the, you know, the turnout, you know, the voter registration piece. Um, and then, but the last thing I will say on that is that, I mean, negative part, um, negative polarization is, you know, increasingly a driver in politics. And, you know, I, I largely agree with what you said, and I really believe in a politics that speaks like what we're going to do. Um, but it is a reality that a lot of what you see and what, folks are putting out and what the ads are is is talking about the threat of the other side and it's not it's not unfounded i mean they do want to pass that i mean we, people thought we were hysterical by it when we were saying like they're going to overturn roe and like and they did and, and if they get the chance to pass a national abortion 
they will, and they'll do lots of other bad things of you know defunding our schools and and you know polluting our water and and, and you know cutting Medicare and healthcare and you know so like these are real threats and it it can drive behavior in our base with young people. Um, and Trump was the ultimate polarizing. I mean, the turnout was unbelievable in 2020 because everyone had an opinion on Trump. You know, there was a surge in rural areas, you know, for Trump of unreliable, um, you know, particularly uh, working class, non-college educated white voters, males in particular, like people that my dim candidates had never seen her out of vote, came out to vote and they lost those districts. But on the other side, young people, you know, maybe, you know, just different um, unreliable voters that shared our values. Um, came out pretty strong, and then we were also able to persuade in the suburbs. So, um, yes, yeah, you know, a, a campaign needs to look at both, uh, needs to talk to their unreliable uh, folks in their base and uh, and the persuadable, um, you know, people that are ostensibly in the middle, even if their beliefs may be kind of idiosyncratic to themselves. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this to you uh, on our previous conversation, but this uh, pre- this particular conflict that MAGA and Republicans are facing is uh, one that uh, I kind of amuses me in a way. I must confess, MAGA, I'm taking delight at your misfortune here. Uh, so uh, I, I think I've talked about this in the show before. MAGA has dedicated itself to the notion. It's been promoting this notion for four years uh, that uh, mail-in voting Mail, mail ballots are corrupt, and it's a way in which the Democrats uh, take advantage of a system uh, to steal an election. That's, hey, MAGA, I listen to what you say. I am merely presenting your point of view, okay? Don't get mad at me because I'm the messenger. So that's your worldview, and you've been promoting it nonstop for four years. And all of a sudden, some of the, the, the little smarter of uh, the Maggie strategists are saying, you know, guys, maybe it's not such a good idea to put all our eggs into the election day basket. Because, like, whatever is a torrential downpour on election day, we, and, and people, voter turnout will fall. So we have to encourage people to vote. And I'm like, I, I liken it to trying to get a giant ship to turn around in a small harbor. MAGA, you've been promoting the, the, this corruption to the MAGA crew for four years. You think you're going to just change their minds overnight? I'm yeah. saying, MAGA, you got to start with it. <laughs> it was one of, the great unforced day, error, one of the great unforced errors in American political history. I mean, I think when the, the history of the 2020 election is, is written, it, it, people are going to say, but what if Trump had just said, Guys, everyone vote by mail, <laughs> you know, because actually traditionally Republicans are better with mail stuff. A lot of our voters, like young people, they, a lot of them have never even mailed a letter. <laughs> you know, with older voters, they've been mailing letters all their life. So they used to do that. Republicans in Florida used to, to do great with mail. It was just a, a Trump conspiratorial, um, paranoid choice. And it really cost them because our folks really did their mail ballots. And, uh, and yeah, and as a campaign, once people vote by mail, you can focus on other targets. You can, you know, take those people out of your universe. And so, you know, Democratic Party, Wisconsin, you know, the Biden campaign, you know, um, in, in, in how we were helping do turnout as Rust Belt Rising, working with Indivisible Chicago Alliance, like we were able to, you know, talk to people that hadn't voted yet and, 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 and not have to talk to people that already did. And, and, uh, and, and it just people like the ease of it. Cause yeah, you know, especially busy working people, like things could come up on election day, you know, whatever. But like when you put points on the board, when you bank it, um, and, and the Johnson campaign, speaking of, you know, Chicago just did this really well. I mean, the, you know, uh, the, the, you know, United Working Families Party really knew how to organize on this, um, in a way that I'm not sure the ballot campaign, uh, was doing that kind of organizing. So, um, you know, smart campaigns are going to do this. This is, you know, a, a thing you can do now. And, um, and, uh, yeah, but, but all of Trump's, the distrust and democracy he tried to sow has done terrible damage, I think, to our civic fabric overall, um, in people, you know, not believing in our free and fair elections. But, uh, but it was, it was a bit self defeating there, um, because he could have had his voters, you know, getting their ballots in you know, weeks before, but, uh, but Republicans vote in person now and a lot of Democrats vote by mail. It's sad yeah, no, it's that I, way, but that's how it is. 
And I, I really don't want Republicans to start this because, listen, Republicans, I'm going to st- uh, speak to you honestly. I know you guys are the biggest cheaters in the world. You tried to steal the last election. You did everything you could. You had Trump on the phone with the secretary of state. Get rid of those Biden ballots. So I know you try to see once you put that little MAGA brain of yours on stealing an election through mail ballots. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I worry about Georgia all of a sudden. So, uh, it, I, you know, it. It helps our democracy uh, in a weird, twisted, only uh, in the MAGA brain way uh, that they've taken the position they had. Um, let's talk before we close it down uh, a little bit about two issues. Zero in on them. Uh, the impact they'll have, uh, as you see it, uh, we're a year out actually, so um, so things can change. But uh, abortion and guns, and uh, in the the Rust Belt states, uh, take them one at a time. The impact. Uh, you think they'll have go ahead yeah well i mean reproductive freedom was the issue of the midterms you know it's why i think we did as well as we did uh of course we still have to have a strong economic message um but uh, you know that such um you know, just such a fundamental right um and, and freedom that was taken uh from people and uh and, and looms as a threat to be taken from millions more um, you know, I, I think that's going to be front and center in uh, Biden's campaign, uh, and uh, appropriately so, because if they win the House, Senate, and presidency, they will pass the national abortion ban like that. You know, when 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 the Michigan referendum that was so key in, in Whitmer winning by as much as she did was on the ballot. I mean, you know, because abortion was on the ballot. You know, with Wisconsin, you know, if they if Governor Evers had lost, I mean. You know, you know that they, they, they're gonna, um, you know, they, they they want to continue this like civil war era, uh, you know, abortion ban in in Wisconsin, and so um, that that is going to be absolutely. Um, I, I I think what Republicans who want to just move past this don't understand is is that that's not a one election thing. <laughs> You've taken the uh, you know when you overturn Roe v. Wade and have this constant threat of abortion bans and in you know half the country it, it, it is banned now um then this is going to be an issue and people are pissed and and it, it's, it's really imperative on us as activists to keep mobilizing people and non-voters uh to vote uh to try to to to, to change um this this real nightmare that they have put us in so that's going to be a key issue you know but uh alongside i think what biden talks about with you know in terms of economic achievements he has of turning things around um coming out of the, the you know the covid recession and and uh you know the clean energy manufacturing and prescription drug reform and and, and different achievements and and then a sense of like you know we need to continue an administration that is focused on what working families need um you know instead of the other side and uh and and they're wanting to give more tax cuts to, to, to billionaires and take your health care and so uh, so that'll be important. And then I think, um, on guns is, is a difficult issue. Um, you know, like I said, that abortion really changed in a lot of the, the, the Rust Belt, you know, blue collar rural areas where the Rust Belt Rising works in because that used to be this like kind of difficult third rail where we taught people the best possible approaches, you know, talking about, you know, you can't until you walk in someone else's shoes, you don't know, uh, their, their situation. So it's important. This is, you know, legal and safe, and you know, the, the, there's ways to be persuasive on it, but the, but the issue just changed once the freedom was taken. Um, and on guns, um, it remains a difficult issue in a lot of areas. But I think the biggest thing I've learned about on on um, how you communicate effectively on guns is, is um, you know, you don't always go for what might strike you and I as like, oh, this is the most logical, persuasive piece of data. And if I just show you know places with more guns and more about like. That is not as effective as saying, you know, I I have a daughter and I'm worried about her going to school and I'm worried about the wrong people getting their hands on. Now, can we agree that, you know, everyone should have to have a background check to make sure, you know, the wrong person can't get their hands on, on a weapon, someone who should not have them. You know, if I'm sitting down with a conservative friend of mine, they're going to agree with that. Like we can have that conversation as neighbors, as friends. Um, and so, you know, so I think that is kind of the conversation that has to happen in different micro ways. But I, I mean, I do think, God, these, the, the school shootings we've seen, I mean, it's just, it's just so awful. And, um, 
you know, and, and, and I do think it is a certainly a mobilizing force for a lot of voters, for a lot of, you know, suburban mom parents, you know, and, um, and, and it's, you know, it's heartening seeing the, the courage of, of Governor Pritzker and Illinois Democrats in passing, you know, the, um, you know, assault weapons ban here in Illinois. And that's something, you know, Democrats, I think, used to be afraid of. And it's like, we did it. Sky hasn't fallen. We did the right thing. Let's be proud of it and let's move forward. And some people are mad, but it was right. The majority agree with us. And so, you know, I think that's the approach we have to have. But as we try to help people not, you know, see um, anything we say about it, some like cultural signal that like, you're not like me, you're on the other side, you're not what, like, I'm, you know, we're different people. And like, you know, it, it, it then it comes in those kinds of conversations between people that you recognize as, oh, you're part of my community, like you're, you're like me. And I'm hearing from you saying like, we need this common sense, you know, safety, um, you know, law for, for something, uh, you know, is the best way forward, I think, to, you know, hopefully help there just not be such a fiery reactionary issue. All right. Uh, we'll save for another time a discussion because it'll be a long discussion about the culture wars uh, and uh, the impact that'll have in, uh, in, uh, uh, in the next uh, year. Uh, yeah. Well, Republicans will never stop speech. using those issues. I mean, just, I'm sorry, but like, you know, I mean, because they can't win on the economic issues of things that we are proposing our agenda for families, they will keep trying to stroke this. Uh, and, and there is, a, you know, they, they just go back to the well on over and over. Um, and so it is really frustrating, but there, you know, I'm inspired by all the gun safety activists that, that do really hard work on this issue. Um, you know, year after year, there's just some, you know, a lot of amazing groups and, um, and activists and just, you know, appreciate them from, from the south side of the suburbs, you know, there's a lot of people coming at it with different angles um, that are really important. Uh, all right. Uh, before we go, uh, if anybody wants to uh, help out, uh, get more information, maybe do some volunteering in these states, uh, how do they get in touch with your organization? Yeah, well, um, go to rustbeltrising.com and sign up. And um, and that'll get you in the loop uh, with the, the trainings that we have coming up. Uh, when, uh, you know, the past two elections, we've, we've um, marshaled volunteers to play an important role in, in Wisconsin and in uh, uh, working with Indivisible Chicago Alliance. And I kind of wear, get to go between both hats on that. Um, and, uh, but, but also, but, you know, to hear about it, to get the invites to our program that, you know, our regular Zoom sessions we have with great speakers that, you know, every time you come to one, you'll leave with more tools in your toolbox for how we, you know, you're, you're a great perspective that'll, you know, you'll hear from a, somebody you've never heard of it that, that you'll say like, wow, that really will help me, you know, communicate with, with people on Facebook or, you know, help me volunteer in a campaign or whatever. Um, it just helps us all uh, be, be more effective in this work. So, um, and, and, and particularly anyone who's thinking about running for office or helping someone who's going to really make sure you sign up at rustbeltrising.com um, so that we can uh, provide free uh, assistance to you uh, to help you do this. All right. Very good. Paul Kendrick, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, so much fun, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. You're the best. And uh, shout out to uh, Alderwoman uh, Lenny. I see you, Lenny. Lenny was one who hooked us up. Oh, doing her, doing that hookup thing that Lenny does so well. Lenny Manahopper, where thank you, Lenny. Uh, yeah. And uh, yes, Lenny doing it. All right. Uh, that's Paul Kendrick. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs>